to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing very well, Jody. Doing very well. How are you? I'm still alive and kicking, though I'm a little sore. Yeah? Yeah. Well, our topic today is we're talking about revisiting old mixes. Yes, it is. This is something that you have mentioned in passing that you do every once in a while. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground within that wide spectrum here today. So just a question first, then, Jody, why would you do a remix? Because there's a couple of scenarios here why we might want to do that, isn't there? One of the first things that would come to my mind is this is for the type of guy that is similar to you and I, that are those kind of dudes that kind of do a lot of different things in regards to music. Right. If you have a catalog of material, some of it's released, some of it's not released, Maybe the unreleased stuff would benefit from it. Maybe some of the released stuff would benefit from it. Yeah, That's where I mean, I'm that, sitting with that. Right. And you can look at more like established artists. This happens a fair bit these days, right? Where there's signed bands that come out with a new remix of something. It might be an anniversary or something where they're, you know, this came out 25 years ago and there's an updated mix of uh, a reason or, or a desire to sort of update the sound for perhaps a more modern sound. And to be perfectly crass about it, it's mostly a cash grab, right? Sure. So, you know, and really nothing wrong with that, but I, I know there's a lot of albums that probably you can mention as well as I, where they're like, uh, the sound desires a little bit extra here of like older albums. Mm -hmm. So that would be, but we're talking, like you said, more of like the, the self-produced guy here and self-produced band perhaps that might want to update their catalog because it will benefit. You know, another thing would be that we um, need to consider these days is if you have the budget for it, fantastic, more like label type of bands where they're coming out with new formats right. that surround, like, or if it's like a Dolby or a Sony 360 type of a thing. Yeah, right. the immersive formats that you're talking about. Right. Or if there's it, some other digital format that somebody wants. And yeah. that's less the artist and more the label and or producer or mix engineer doing that. Sure. Today, I think we see like albums being reissued for vinyl and things these days, right? So it might be revisiting that to... Update the mixes because vinyl today is different than vinyl from the 70s, for example, mm -hmm. right? because they tend to be thicker and we can have more low end in them, basically. So it might be compensating for that. There's a high possibility of that, plus the fact that digital and streaming in general is a gigantic portion of the audio spectrum that is now released. Going back to an older format like that, is a whole different ballgame for a lot of guys, especially the younger dudes coming up right now. Right. Would you ever consider doing something in vinyl? I mean, of your own stuff here in this case? Probably not. Yeah. I never had a huge draw to the concept of putting an album on a record player and dropping the needle. That doesn't change the fact that I grew up in that era and my entire collection up until the point of maybe around 20 when I converted everything to buying cassettes <laughs> kind of thing. Wait, wait. So you, you went from vinyl to, to cassettes. cassettes? I did. And then to CDs. Okay. 
What was the thought process there? This is off topic, but I want to drill down on this because what, why did you go to cassette? Car. You can't play a uh, record player in a car. Well, I mean, I suppose you could if you had a Bentley or something. Okay, I got really you. All right. Shocks. So, so it was a portable format, basically. It was a portable format. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody but, was happier than I was when we started getting CDs. Sure. Because I'm like, oh, I like the idea of vinyl, the mm-hmm. size of it. Because you could, it was one of those nerds, like I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this that were born in that era, you read all the liner notes and you look at the pictures and that's how you found out about the bands, right? Yeah, it was fantastic for that because vinyl is huge and legible. (laughs) Right. CDs, they scrunched everything down and made it tiny. It was hard. Right. cassettes, it's even smaller than that, which is harder. Right. It had these gigantic fold-out things that turned into like a long string pano photograph mural thing i don't know it was crazy yeah but that was the bigger but, but you have no, yeah but you have no desire to kind of do perhaps like an ego thing and just wanted to have something on vinyl because that's something that i've kind of toyed with but it's just not financially rewarding enough for the roi on that is negligible for somebody like me with certain things because if yeah, there was a demand to- if there was a demand and people suddenly came back to me and said, I would like this on vinyl. Yeah. Then I would strongly consider it. I would strongly consider it. But that doesn't yeah. mean I would do it. No, it's a cool format, but it is, a, for me at least, it's still a nostalgia thing. Very and I do so. think that, that people that have basically fetishizing what, what vinyl was. It's a very noisy I, format. Yeah. There's no question that, about it. Right. CDs... So, are the first format that we really kind of had that wasn't so noisy. Yeah. Well, the first time we had like digital silence. Yeah. Right. Where it's actual silence and it wasn't noise. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 But anyway, so that would be another reason if you're kind of doing sort of like a remix to kind of steer this back on the track. There's another reason why you might want to do this and possibly for opening this up to, or your track up to a different audience. Yes. Like, and I have done this in the past Yeah, where I gave remix artists stems and mm-hmm. then allowed them free reign to go nuts with doing a mix on a song and turning a rock song into an urban type of song, into a dance remix, into an EDM remix, into an industrial remix. <laughs> yeah. Speaking there hypothetically multi- here. No, but- there were multiple formats done on the same song and it was fun to do. It was interesting to hear everybody's different take on how the song was interpreted by them. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to do one of those for you. Actually, yes, you did. I did a more of an industrial type of remix for you for a song they did. And it's fun to kind of do that because it, Especially if you have somebody else do it, mm-hmm. right? You get a completely fresh mindset on the song, and and it could be either wow, that's really cool, or wow, I'm not sure I'm comfortable talking to you anymore. You know, <laughs> but there's something. I mean, th- that happened a lot in probably early like early 2000, right? Yeah. Where, where I'm thinking like there was a lot of cross pollination between styles and guys that I really admire, like Chris Branna would do more you know, industrialized mixes for rap artists and, and pop artists and stuff. And it always ended up sounding cool to my ear. So mm-hmm. that's something as well. goes back to the club mixes of older pop songs as well that are now like extended formats and stuff. So right. 
Well, the new big thing is doing acoustic versions of one's songs where you just sure. get there with a guitar and a vocal and just do it that way. Uh, I don't know if that's still the big thing, but it was a year or two ago. Yeah. With that mindset, it's almost like we're crossing over to obviously a complete re-recording of the track, right? Uh, as opposed Depending to on how much acoustic stuff was done in the original one, sure. Sure. Yeah. Obviously, with that, there's a lot of valid reasons to do go back to your catalog and, and redo stuff. Let's say that you don't have a whole bunch of stuff. Or you're a mix engineer. Right. What are some reasons why you might want to go back and remix your songs? I'll categorize the next grouping of things into a lump sum of a learning experience. Yeah, that's and really, really good. I'll say it like this. As you progress, let's say that you are a recording engineer or a mix engineer who didn't go to school for this. You're on the streets. You're learning by trial and error. Or you're one of those people that does all of the writing and recording of your own stuff and you're learning as you go. That's a big roadblock in some senses. And in another, it's like it's a very freeing experience because you're experimenting a lot. After you've had a bunch of years of doing it, you can go back and look at some of your older mixes and how you used to do your workflow and realize, oh, shit, that's highly inefficient. I'm glad I do what <laughs> I do now. Or maybe it's the other way around. Who knows? But I will lump all of that under learning experience. And the first thing is, is that when you have older material, either from a client as a mix engineer or as the writer, producer of your own material, you have tracks that you can practice mixing with, regardless of once it's done and you've sent it away. You don't have to turn around and do these mixes and make them public. If you have downtime, you would spend time learning new things about how to approach a mix. Absolutely. And I think that is a really, really valid thing because if you're the type of person that maybe you don't have a whole bunch of clients. In order to get better at this, go back and remix stuff and try out that new kick compression trick that you learned on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. Now you have tracks to practice with and see how much you can improve stuff and also stumble every once in a while and go like, oh, that does not work on this track. Like I can't use this trick or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the practicing and going back and doing stuff is a valid one. I, I think it's a really, really good one. Well, and I sort of hinted at it in there with the concept of going back and seeing how things were inefficiently done in the early stages of my recording situation. And one of the things that I'll mention on that is workflow refinement. You start mm -hmm. to learn over time if you haven't been told by somebody this is how it should be done based on their work methods. <laughs> Yours yeah. might be different. That you can see, oh, well, I used to track, write, and record, then mix and do everything in the same file. I yeah, used to do it right. all the time. Oh, yeah. I don't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's not worth the effort to do it that way in my mind because things get messy. You get into the concept of like, oh, I can just switch the sound out because I'm still in my tracking file or my recording file workflow refinement. And we've done episodes on things that we like to see in 
setting up a session for that. And those are refinements that help your mixes or help your recording and tracking situations. Please go back and revisit those episodes if you'd like to know what we said back then. They still apply today. Before you do that, maybe we'll just take a couple of things, right? So what's the biggest hang-up for you? Because I know what it is for me. But when you do that, start mixing in the same project file as you have done all the tracking and stuff. Mm-hmm. What, what's Pick one thing. Now, what do you think is the biggest hurdle? The temptation to, to go back and just change a sound because I can. So you're never done. You just kind of – No, it's like never finished. Change constantly, change. Yeah. Oh, oh, I got to go back and do this. Unless it's a dire emergency, the way I work now, I deal with the sound as is because that was the intent when it was done. Mm. For me, the biggest thing is – is that you kind of start mixing as you go. Mm, yeah. And you start, instead of doing the old cleanup things that we've talked about, removing sure. breaths or whatever it is, but but starting even more is starting to like do automation and things in that recording session. To me, that just creates an unwieldy, just like uncontrollable mix to kind of start with. Yeah, I agree. So, And in that regard... Something you had mentioned with experimenting on old mixes. I've gone through the process recently of remixing the first album I ever wrote, tracked, and Mm -hmm. recorded. And it was done on ADAT before there were DAWs. Wee! Oh, yeah. Crazy format 15K, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I went back through with that and applied the new way that I work with console concept. Now, while I did the original mix in a console situation because it was done on a Mackie board that had the early days of computer automation mm-hmm. that has probably since been lost. The Mackie control stuff, but not the Mackie control service. It was literally software. Mackie console, right? Mackie yeah. console. And it had software that went on the Mac and recorded all of what you did. I reapplied the concept into the modern sense of the DAW and did the new mixes that way. But before I did it, I also experimented on modern techniques of cleaning up timing, cleaning up Mm. a few pitches here and there and doing that. And that changed the vibe and the feel pretty drastically. I also went through and thought more about the combination of the sounds in doing this and pulled some of the used tracks that were in the previous release, the first release, out. So there is less used tracks. So you're talking about you kind of messing with the arrangement a little bit when you have like multiple stacked guitars, perhaps you're leaving some out or well, is that what you're talking about with the sounds? Sort of. No? I actually did things where I multi-miked guitars and mm-hmm. the phasing was not the greatest. And it just became inherent to the sound. Going back through and doing a new mix, having corrected some of the things in it that I had mentioned, it didn't work. So I would pull out mics and rebalance it that way. Oh, okay. The other thing that happens, and all that is workflow refinement, applying what I know now to what I did then. The other thing that I did is... All of the outboard gear that I used, I still own a vast majority of it. It's just sitting in storage. I went through and recreated some of the effects using modern plugins. 
which changes the ability, especially with ADAT recordings, to get a lot more high end into the mix. Hmm. Because ADATs are notorious for having no high end past 15K. Yeah, at least the first version of the ADATs, right? right? I think that they, yeah. So what did you do to bring that back in then? It's all in the effects. Okay. There's nothing there in terms of the actual instrumentation. It's just applying reverbs, delays, and other things that have that high end that can be used. So there's a lot more functional range to it now, which is interesting. So you, you were not talking about adding sort of like exciters or any of that kind of stuff to kind of bring in more high-frequency content. It was nope. just, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So now here's another thing that you have started doing relatively recently. Mm-hmm. That's moving your mixing to a new DAW because yes. you mix in Luna now and not mm-hmm. Logic anymore. You do your tracking in Logic still, yeah? Yes. Okay. How has that changed your process then for learning Luna, I guess, by bringing in your old Logic mixes? As you know, the reason why I made the switch to Luna, and we've mentioned it, I believe, on this Mm -hmm. podcast before, is that I did side-by-side comparison mixes between Logic and Luna one-to-one. Yeah. And everybody picked the Luna mix every single time. The sad thing about Luna is is that it's still, in terms of automation, can't match Logic. It just doesn't have that functionality yet. Initially, it didn't have side chaining. So I had to choose mixes that didn't have side chaining. Now it has all that and it doesn't matter. The automation is still rudimentary, which is unfortunate, but it'll get better with time. I mean, because it's still what? At the time of recording this, it's still like one point something, right? Yes, it is. Okay. The idea here in terms of going to Luna had more to do with the sonic quality. And I believe that it is sonically better. That's the only reason why I'm using it is that sonically people picked those mixes for whatever reason, and it was 100% across the board. So UA, get on it. That's your marketing standpoint right there for Luna. <laughs> yeah. Not watch them realize that that was a bug in the software. Right. And now that and they, they fixed fix it that it's in, in, go in away. version two, right? <laughs> yeah. Now with a more pure sound. Right? But the no, but, point but of why a- you're bringing it up is that I spent time moving all mixes to Luna because it sounded better. The idea of doing it though with older songs that I already knew is to actually learn the DAW. Yeah. And now I find myself cross-pollinating my key commands where I will use Luna commands in Logic, which will throw shit off. And then I'm trying Logic ones in Luna that don't even exist. And it's like, ah, shit. So I can't wait until Luna implements the ability to create your own key commands or import key commands from other DAWs because all other DAWs seem to do it. Luna is still a holdout on it, which is unfortunate. That will remove the learning phase of it real quick, I think, once I can do that. Yeah, that is so frustrating when you go from another DAW to another, especially because you're doing stuff you're not thinking about the key commands that you're doing. You're just doing them, Yeah. right? And then all of a sudden your DAW is different. It's like, why is that working? Oh, it's because you're in Pro Tools now, dummy. You know, so. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. one more element to the learning experience though. What is it? Learning a new piece of gear, I would say, or, or software, right? So let's say that you, in your case, you were mentioning that you had hardware boxes that you were using as a processing from these original recordings. Mm-hmm. Let's say now that you have you have a new compressor, a new EQ, whatever. Yep. 
and just learning what that can do. It's a great way to just like bring up an old mix and see, okay, well, how is the super kick slammerizer plugin going to work <laughs> on, on this one, right? right? So that obviously is a very valid sort of training ground. And maybe you get a new cooler mix out of it. Mm -hmm. And with all of these sort of learning experience kind of category here, you said at the top, it doesn't mean that you have to re-release them, right? No. Or even release them. It's just a way to kind of go through all the steps that we just talked about here. Right. And along the lines of the software thing, case in point, like I've had some downtime as of recently and I'm working on tweaking final mixes of a group of songs that will eventually be released. They have not been released yet. Yesterday I was dealing with a mix in Luna that Luna couldn't play back anymore. It's like, what the hell? It worked fine when I did the mix a year ago. <laughs> and yeah. now it's not working as fine because of software updates, which is a sad reality. So I had to start going through and learning why Luna was doing this, for one. And two, realizing I could get away with using UA native, and I don't mean native as in Spark, but UA processing plugins to replace third-party plugins that I was using in the mix, which was causing the rendering problem. Going through and switching out all the EQs that I was using for an EQ in UAs stable that could do the equivalent thing. Now, maybe not to the exact frequency, but close enough that it's six of one, half a dozen in a mix. And right. that's, I switched all those out. I could get the song to play back again and do the export. And I made the other tweaks that I had made notes of to fix the mix. And I noticed something else that I had overlooked in the process. And I mentioned it to you before we hit record. I had a rear compression bus going on the drums that wasn't doing the automation moves along with the drums. And I'm like, oh, no wonder the drums are coming out a little bit loud in a couple of sections. So <laughs> I went in and fixed the automation there to make sure that it would move along with the music and the drums bus along with the rear compression and fixed and solved all that. And now the mix is the happier and better for it. And it still hasn't been released yet. So that's a good sign. But all so of when that- When you hear it, it's going to sound awesome. Exactly. All of that is the learning experience portion to why you would do this. But- Yes. There is a point where you need to leave all of this shit alone. What's the first one? <laughs> well- it's like they say, like, let dead dogs lie, right? Mm -hmm. Where, what's the expression? Like a mix is never finished, it's only abandoned. Sure. Like, and it's like, oh, whenever the client signs off on it or you have your arbitrary deadline when the budget is up, it's like that's when the mix is done. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said for that because we can always improve on stuff. Sure. But it comes to a point where it's like, what's the point? Why are you doing it again? So I think there is that. And that's something that... What you mean is if you don't have a goal for why you're doing it, or if there isn't a purpose for doing the remix, yep. leave, leave it the it fuck alone. alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that comes into like time crunch and stuff. But if you have, like I just said, the last couple of weeks, you've had a little bit of downtime. So it would be a good time for you to revisit some of these things because you have that. Yep. I don't think it's a case for, oh, I'm going to remix all my songs every year. You know, oh, it, God, it's just, no. it's just silly, right? Mm -hmm. Because there is, you know, a certain effort and 
pain in the ass level to go back in and do all of this stuff. Yep. So you have to be sure that the payoff is going to be worth it. You're either going to end up with a better sounding mix that people are actually going to notice that's better, or you're going to learn something from the process, right? Mm -hmm. So th there's a return there. We see a lot of things with label artists when they're remixing stuff are coming out, like I mentioned at the top there for like anniversaries and things. Remixed, and remastered, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, it's an improvement. I would argue as well as like there are certain classic tracks that don't need to be remixed. Mm -hmm. It's like we know that sound and that's ingrained. And it's let's say that you take like an old Motown track, right? Super groovy kind of stuff. Yeah, let's uh, fly that in and time correct everything and, and remove all the little warts and all that are in there that make it special. Well, that would just ruin it. It would. Right. And then there's other albums that we'd like to get remixed on these anniversaries. And Metallica, I'm looking in your direction for <laughs> Injustice for All. That will sadly never happen. There are things like that where you should just leave it alone. Uh -huh. Leave it alone. Don't worry about it. It's a classic sound or whatever. What's your take on all of that? The only time I would consider it is when I, one, have the time, and two, is it going to make an improvement on something? One thing we didn't mention is, is that I've also been working on remixes of a whole lot of production music, as I do have a rather large library. And there's at least 30 CDs of material that I have that have never been put into rotation, so to speak, never been released. Mm. There's a reason for that, and it's about to change. And I wanted to go back and make sure that every one of those were dressed up so that when the situation launches, they will be ready to fly without any additional need. And because I have the downtime, it's the time to do it. That's what I would right. say. The time to do it is when you have the downtime, whether you're the artist or whether you are the mix engineer. Either way, if you don't have the time, don't even consider it. It's not worth it. Yeah. The only caveat to that, too, is that it can be really, really eye-opening to your old workflow habits, mm -hmm. your old skill level. And it could be a lot of fun to revisit stuff, to kind of go and look into it and go like, oh, you know what? This track was actually really cool. And you can discover parts where it's like, I didn't know I played that or I didn't know that was in there. Why did we mute this out or whatever? I do that so all it the could time. be that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you can't answer those questions with a positive way, leave them alone, man. Leave them alone. And speaking of things that we should or should not leave alone right now is our Friday Finds. Chris, what have you got this week? I am super excited about this mm -hmm. because a few episodes ago, we talked about plug-in GUIs and if they matter. Right. I kind of gave some thumbs down to this one. But my favorite company or one of my favorite companies, Heaviosity, have just announced an update to Gravity, so Gravity 2. I'm as giddy as a little girl because I can't <laughs> wait to get my hands on this because I love all their stuff. So my Friday find this week is Gravity 2 by Heaviosity. What have you found for us, Jody? Eventide, that lovely company that makes awesome processors of all kinds, has just announced there are new versions of Black Hole and MicroPitch coming to our ear holes real soon. It will be black hole immersive and micro pitch immersive. And why this matters 
It was briefly glossed over in an <laughs> earlier mention in today's episode for formats like Sony 360RA, Dolby Atmos, surround stuff. They are doing versions of those plugins that will work for those formats that will allow you to get immersive with those sounds straight out of the plugin in and of itself across all the channels from subtle to radical in whatever it is that it does. Plus, you can actually send outputs of the plugin to various speakers individually, which is really cool. So now it's time to remix everything and surround using Black Hole. (laughs) (laughs) While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list in order to be eligible for future giveaways. And we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this amazing podcast. Send us an email at GoldStar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word remix. And you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. And have an awesome day, Jody. Bye.